0: You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Jets podcast for Wednesday, April 14th, 2021. I'm your host, John B. from ganggreennation.com, sending a special shout out to subscribers to this podcast. To join that group, all you have to do is go to your favorite podcast venue and click the subscribe button. And if you do that, we will deliver new episodes to your device each morning as they are posted, as this is a daily podcast covering the New York Jets with new episodes each day, Monday through Friday. Today we have our weekly mailbag show. Thanks to everybody who sent in questions. Let's begin. John, I think you're right to say trading down for more picks is not always right. Despite all the great things Bill Parcells did in his short stint as Jets general manager and head coach, he also famously traded down out of the opportunity to draft one of two Hall of Fame tackles, Orlando Pace and Walter Jones, for a linebacker, James Ferrier, who he barely even played. In 2007, Tannenbaum traded six picks. 39, 37, 59, 89, 164, and 191 to move up for Darrell Revis, David Harris, and also got Thomas Jones out of the deals, which was a great haul. Obviously, these are cherry-picked examples, but done right, trading up can pay massive, massive dividends, and trading down can really hurt. What interior offensive line, corner, and edge guys do you think the Jets should trade up for, and how far do you think they need to go up and get them? So lots to discuss with that question. And yes, trading up can help your team, obviously. You know, I think sometimes when we enter the draft, we look at these players too generically. You know, I see this all the time. Jets need to draft the best corner available at 23. And we just look at these guys as generic corner. But of course, these are not generic players. You know, if the top corner in the draft is going to turn into the next Darrell Rivas, and the second corner is going to be a bust and is not going to be a good NFL player, then obviously you should not take the top corner available no matter what. And I have spoken extensively about this in the past, how I think teams sometimes and fans sometimes put too much emphasis on positional needs. The player has to be good enough for you to pick at that position. And if there's a situation where, hypothetically, the next Darrell Rivas was available to you, but only if he traded up, trading up then makes sense. But here's the thing about the Tannenbaum example. Yes, he made two good deals in 2007 when he traded up, absolutely. But look at the rest of his tenure. 2009, he traded up for Mark Sanchez and Sean Green. The Jets only made three picks in that draft, along with Matt Slauson on the third day of the, I'm sorry, the second, in 2009, the draft was two days. It was the second day of the draft. They traded up at the beginning of the day for Sean Green, and then they drafted Matt Slauson later on. Then in 2010, they made any number of trades. They made a number of deals for veteran players, giving up 2010 draft picks. It was a four-man draft class. That year, the Jets picked Kyle Wilson in the first round, Vladimir Dukas in the second, Joe McKnight in the fourth, and John Connor in the fifth. And when you look at the way the team declined after Rex Ryan's first two years, the failures of those two draft classes look pretty important. And eventually giving up too many picks caught up with the Jets. One thing that I've seen consistently when people have looked back and really dug into draft history, which teams are successful, which teams are failures, The teams that are most successful tend to be the teams making the most picks because of how inexact of a science drafting is. Even the greatest general managers, general managers in the Hall of Fame, have made some horrendous picks. The one I always talk about is Bobby Bethard. He's a Hall of Fame general manager. He picked Ryan Leaf second overall in 1998 when he was Chargers general manager. There's so much unknown about these players. You're trying to project 10 to 15 years of guys who are coming out of college going up a level and... Again, some of it's just luck. If a guy ends up suffering a ton of injuries or maybe one career altering injury, that's not something you can predict, but it's the kind of thing that can really have a big impact on your team. So ultimately, you need you should be in the business of adding more picks than you give away, because you need to make sure that your margin for error is not zero. And what Mike Tannenbaum did during his tenure finally caught up with him because he gave away too many picks. I mean, you're never going to hit on 100% of your picks, but if you're only making three or four selections a year, you pretty much need to hit on 100% of your picks to have a you know to build your roster going forward. A well-timed trade up is a good thing. You know, part of the reason you bring in your part of the reason you have scouts is that they can tell you which guys are trading up for. But there has to be a bigger picture strategy, and the teams that are most successful are the teams that add more picks than they give up. Now, that does not mean you never trade up. It just means you need to pick your spots. And if you do trade up, you also need to find other spots to add extra picks, whether that's dealing a player who's no longer useful to you rather than cut him, whether that's trading down at some other point in the draft. You have to find the right balance. You know, nobody, you know, when I try and evaluate moves the Jets make, I try and, ev- I try and think about how this could play out 100 times. And if there's a move that I feel like 70% of the time that's the right move for the Jets, then I'm going to say that's the right move for the Jets. The thing is, even if a move will work out 70% of the time, 30% it won't. And 30% is a pretty good percentage. You know, that that's that's not exactly a situation where the other thing has minuscule odds. 30% is a pretty solid bet. You know, it's not not, I mean, you'd rather have 70 than 30, but sometimes it goes the other way. And, you know, if trade, let's say hypothetically trading up is only works 30% of the time. Well, if, if you're doing one of the 30% when you trade up and you get the next Darrell Rivas, it's a move that makes a lot of sense for you. So, you know, you can't be too rigid in your guidelines and say, never trade up. But I think you should trade up less than you trade down. I think history shows us that the teams that draft the best are the teams that add more picks, not the teams that give up all of their picks. And you got to find players in the draft. The NFL is a league with a salary cap. You can't afford to give everybody big money. You need contributors who make your team better at a low salary. Now, which players should the Jets potentially look to trade up for? Well, part of it depends on how the draft goes because, say, hypothetically, we get to, like, 18 or 19, and, you know, three of the guys who are on this list are still available, then I think you may wait a little bit to see how the draft goes, because one of these guys may just fall to you if, the, if you stay put. But, I mean, I think you look at the, the guys who are the consensus top three corners, uh, Sertain from Alabama, Farley from Virginia Tech or Horn from South Carolina, I think that any of those three guys could be potential trade-up targets. I think that Vera Tucker, the guard from USC, those are the guys I'd look at because those are the positions of glaring need, and those are the guys who, it seems like a stretch that they would fall to 23 so yeah, you know, those are the guys I really have my eye on. Would it be wrong for the Jets to not trade up for one of those guys? Not necessarily. Would it be wrong for the Jets to trade up for somebody else? Not necessarily. But I think th- those are the guys I have my eye on. But it would be a situation where, say, maybe you got to like 18 or 19, and only one of them's still on the board. Because I think you do want to wait and see. I think I think if you get to a point where three of the four are still available, and you're at pick 19, and you know maybe you're Four or five picks away, you may want to see how this plays out because it may be a situation like last year. Remember last year when there was all this concern that only that none of the top four tackles were going to fall to the Jets, and then the Jets end up on the clock, and both Mackay Becton and Tristan Wirfs, two of the four, are available. You get to pick your guy. So you know a lot of it depends on how to play out uh, and how it plays out. But if you are talking moving up, I mean, I think you don't want to give up a second round pick. And part of this depends on what other teams want to do. So it's it's tough to answer specifically. I want to make sure that we head into next year though with two first round picks and two second round picks. I would not want to give any of those up ideally. So I think if you're getting closer, maybe you're giving up a three to move up. And again, it depends on what teams are willing to or what teams are willing to accept. But I think that's that's the scenario that I would see making sense for the Jets. We have been telling you for a while now that Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar on the market, and the improved Built Bar is now even more delicious with 18 amazing flavors. The bars are covered in 100% chocolate, and they're soft and easy to chew. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, and high-fiber. And if you go to BuiltBar.com right now and use promo code LOCKED15, you'll get 15% off your next order for these delicious Built Bars. Again, it's promo code LOCKED15, one word, no space, L-O-C-K-E-D, number one, number five. You get 15% off at BuiltBar, B-U-I-L-T-B-A-R.com. This is the Locked on Jets podcast on this Mailbag Wednesday. Our next question comes from Jim on the east side. Jim writes, on a few of my draft simulators, I have repeatedly been offered the chance to trade pick 23 to Tampa for 32 and 64. I think moving down nine slots to pick up a late second rounder would be a very good move for the Jets. What do you think? Well, Jim, I'll go back to what I said in the first segment. Obviously, it depends on how things play out. But If one of the top corners is not available, and I think it would be tough to pass on one of the top corners, but if one of the top corners is not available, that sounds like excellent value. Even the Jimmy Johnson trade value chart, which is kind of the standard measure of value, and I think that that chart overrates higher picks and underrates lower picks, but even on that chart, Jets come out winners. I think for where the Jets are right now, an extra second round pick, even if it's the last pick of the second round, could be very valuable. This team needs all the help it can get. It needs all the young talent it can get. So I think that's very good value. Now, the one caveat I'll, the one caveat I'll throw out there, these draft simulators can be kind of silly. I used one a few weeks back, and I remember I traded down a couple times just to see what kind of value I could get. And I still somehow was able to get Zach Wilson, I think with the eighth pick. And somehow I, the Jets ended up with eight first round picks next year. Now, explain that to me, how that can happen. So sometimes these simulators are not the most reliable, so I don't know how much I really read into what a simulator is offering. But, Jim, you did a good job, I think, with your your work as Jets general manager in your simulation. The next question. In my view, the second and third round picks are traditionally the sweet spots in the draft to get quality interior offensive linemen, while quality tackles usually go higher. Do you think it would be a good plan for the Jets not to use the 23rd pick on an interior offensive lineman since it seems like they could get a very good player to fill their needs lower on the board? Well, you know, I guess I'm going to say it again. I'm going to try and not make it my default answer. Obviously, it depends on how it plays out. You know, if Vera Tucker falls to you at 23, going to be a tough guy to pass on. In general, though, I do think some of these calculations come into play. You may remember last year, what were the two positions we said the Jets really needed to address in that draft? It was tackle and it was wide receiver. And you saw that tackle was very top heavy, you had that established top four, at least that was our perception at the time. You know, after year one, maybe we have different viewpoints on this. But at the time, there was an established top four at tackle, whereas the wide receiver class seemed very deep. And there were no guarantees that the Jets could get one of the premium receiver prospects in the second round. But it was a lot more likely that the there would be a good really, really good receiver available to you in round two than it was that one of these tackles would be available to you in round two. So with that as part of the calculus, I think that may have played a role in the Jets drafting Makai Becton and rolling the dice that they could get the receiver they wanted in round two. And as it turned out, they were able to trade down and get Denzel Mims. So I think that you have to consider the depth of the class at a certain position. You have to. I, I don't think it can be the only thing that determines your decision making. Because again, Vera Tucker from USC is there. Take them. But if you get to a situation where maybe it's close, like I'm sure it was last year between you know Becton or hypothetically C.D. Lamb, then I think maybe that's something you use as a tiebreaker. You and you, you make a calculated gamble of course, it could backfire. You may end up in a situation where all the, go- all the players you want are, avail- are gone before your second or third round pick. But I do think that that's a good point. I think that it's something you have to consider when you're drafting. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Major League Baseball is getting underway, and the NBA and NHL are in full swing. And BetOnline also covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. With real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine, Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using promo code LOCKEDON. It's one word with no space, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. Online, your online sportsbook experts. This is the Locked On Jets podcast on a Mailbag Wednesday. Our next question comes from Joe. Since we often hear that Bless Austin is not great in coverage, but he is a very willing and enthusiastic tackler, why would the Jets not try to convert him to strong safety to see how he does supporting the box? I think that's an excellent point, Joe. I have thought that myself since the season ended, and part of me really feels like if Bless Austin is going to make it in the NFL, he might need to move to strong safety, and maybe that's, that maybe that's the role for him, for the reasons you mentioned. He's not the greatest cover guy, but he is willing to deliver a tackle. I think this is just my guess, but I think there might be two reasons behind this. First of all, we don't know how he's going to look in Robert Sala's defense. Does Sala think he's a better fit for this scheme than maybe he was for Greg Williams' scheme? I don't know. I think the bigger reason though is that the Jets just don't have anybody else at corner right now. You know, if the Jets can get a couple of corners in here maybe through free agency and the draft, they could take a look at it, but I just am not sure that's a luxury they have right now. Because if Bless Austin moves to safety, well, who's going to play corner? And you already have safeties. You have Marcus May, you have LaMarcus Joyner, you have uh, Ashton Davis. So I think that there's a greater need right now at corner. Whereas, you know, there's nobody to play corner once Bless if you move Bless Austin away. I got to be honest with you, Joe. I cover the Jets, and I don't know who the, who the starting corner would be if Bless Austin, without looking it up, I, I could not tell you who the starting corner would be if Bless Austin was not here. So I think we would need to see Jets add some corners. I think as much as anything, it's probably a need thing. And also, it could have something to do with Salah. We don't know really know what he's thinking yet on that front. But I think a very good point by Joe. Next question. Plenty of mock drafts have the Jets picking Etienne or Harris at 23 or 34. Doesn't the addition of Tevin Coleman in in addition to Pirine and Johnson make this unnecessary given the Jets' other needs? I mean, I don't think the Jets are great at running back right now. I think running back is kind of a weakness, but I also think it would be very difficult to justify taking a running back at either 23 or 34 because as much as running back's a weakness. There are positions that provide much greater impact in the NFL. In today's NFL, running back is one of the lowest impact positions. And the Jets are installing a system which is known for making running backs look good, even when you don't invest heavily in them. In fact, this is if you go all the way back because... Jets are installing a system based on what Kyle Shanahan did in San Francisco. If you go back in NFL history to the 90s, Mike Shanahan may have been one of the leaders in the trend of devaluing the running back position, because every year in Denver, his offensive line with their zone blocking scheme was helping some late round running back or undrafted free agent put out a thousand yard season and making Terrell Davis into a Hall of Famer. So, if you're installing this system, which is really based on the blocking more than it is the running back, or and to the extent it's based on the running back, it's skill. It's a, it is a skill set that does not require a premium investment. I just think it's difficult to justify this. Now you can get over it if the Jets pick Etienne or Harris at 23 or 34 because of you know they'll go out there and make plays, but. Is that the best way to maximize the Jets' value with these picks? Uh, I really don't think so. Our next question comes from Timmy, who writes all the way from Ireland. Timmy asks, in your most recent podcast, you mentioned that an additional edge rusher in the draft could potentially lead to a championship-level defensive line. I'm wondering who in the draft would you think is good enough to fulfill this prophecy, and would it need to be with the 23rd pick? I mean, would it need to be with the 23rd pick? There's always guys who go day two, even day three, who surprise us. But the guy I would have in mind probably would be with the 23rd pick. And this is the most realistic guy I could come up with the 23rd pick. And it's the pass rusher out of Georgia, Aziz Ojolari. If you look at his skill set, if you look at his production, I I think he'd be a great pick at 23. Now, is the defensive line the most pressing need for the Jets? No, but... I think a guy like that could take this unit to the next level because then you'd have the two bookend pass rushers in Carl Lawson and Ojolari, and you'd have the third-edge guy, Vinny Curry, who'd be a, in a situational role. On the interior, you'd have Sheldon Rankins and Quinnen Williams, and if either of them needed a rest, if it's a rundown, Foley Fatukasi goes in. If it's a passing down, John Franklin Myers goes in. That would be a fully built defensive line. That would be one of the best defensive lines in the NFL. And I mean, we can get carried away with this. I think people frequently get carried away with how much being dominant in one position impacts other positions. But in the Jets, look, this is the corner group is not good enough, no matter who the defensive line is. But having that kind of defensive line, having that kind of pass rush, at least would help to some extent mitigate the issues that the Jets have at corner right now. So that's that's my guy are there other potential solutions out there? Of course. Would the Jets definitely need to use to pick 23? No. No. There will, there will be other opportunities either this year or next year to find that complimentary pass rusher to Carl Lawson, but that would be the guy I have my eye on at, on the 23rd pick. And as always, you know, it's my go-to saying of this particular podcast episode, it depends on how the board falls. That's all for our show today. Thank you for listening. This has been the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. As always, if you enjoy the show, subscribe to it and leave it a five-star review. Have a great Wednesday, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow to talk more Jets.